I am Alon Ben-Mir and welcome back to the On the Issues. My guest today is Karen Greenberg, Director of the Center on National Security at Fordham University and a noted expert on national security, terrorism, and civil liberties. Her latest book is Rogue Justice, The Making of the Security State which explores the war on terror, impact on justice, and law in America. So you start. Hmm. No, what I was saying, you know, I, in my view, there is a considerable misconception, misperception about what does it really mean, a war on terror? And to what extent we really have succeeded in the sense that we say we eliminated so many people. Mm -hmm. uh, we have, uh, you know, in your, some of your writing, you suggested, well, 75% were killed, but what does really that represent in real numbers? To what extent that made a real dent uh, in the, uh, how, how Al-Qaeda, for example, been operating, you know. It is one thing to proclaim we have defeated Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, but since then, now 15 years later, we are still dealing with Al-Qaeda today. So what that war on terrorism really, yeah. really means. Yeah. So that's, that's, you know, this is something that I think most American people would like to understand it, have a better understanding. Because in my view, Karen, this is not a phenomenon that's going to just go away. Yeah. We're going to have to live yeah. with terrorism. Mm -hmm. And so we have to think about it differently, other than using words like war on terror. Yeah. Do we want to live for another 200 years with a war on terror? Yeah. So what do we do in terms of what kind of approach should we take? How can we change the dynamic? Yeah. Okay. So, that's, so, that's so a, okay. So know. so let's just start with the war on yeah, terror. Yeah. What what on earth that yeah. is? Um, for the United States, one of yeah. the biggest things has been the inability to be able to say when the war will be over. This is a new phenomenon to declare a war on something that there's no there's no marker that says there's an end. So killing the head of Al-Qaeda, bin Laden, that wasn't the end. And nobody even pretended it was the end, right? Um, nobody said, okay, let's now just pull back those authorities, let's go home, let's declare victory. So the war on terror is really the war on an idea. That's right. And so the question is, can we stamp out the idea? And instead, perhaps, we should be thinking, and we are starting to think in these ways, um, the world is starting to think about these ways, can we change it? rather than can we stamp it out. That's a, that's a very big difference. You know, to, to take a cudgel and beat something over the head is one yes, thing, yeah, and to yeah. say, wait a minute, if that's not working, what can we do that softens the edges, that begins to deal with, as some people like to say, the root causes, even though you're not supposed to use that term. Yes. I don't know why. Um, and so the, the war on terror is a basket full of a lot of different things, none of which are really exclusive of one another. And there are a lot of mistakes in it and a lot of good things in it. But the idea of a war on an idea is probably not, not going to be successful. For one thing, you called it a war. And right, the minute yeah. you call it a war, you are talking about destruction. And yes, we want to destroy destructive forces. But where is the constructive piece of it? And that's why I like when you brought up France. Because France is a country that tried to have very harsh counterterrorism measures that was non-inclusive, that alienated two generations That's of right. Muslim immigrants, yes. and that seems, and the jury's out 
we'll see where it goes, but seems to be rethinking the counterterrorism approach that has been the, 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 the program that has united most of the Western world. And again, the jury's out, but there's indications that they're thinking about ways of inclusion, ways of the Burkini aside, um, ways of rethinking how to help these communities rather than to order these communities to change their mindset. But yeah. helping them yeah. to yeah. see themselves in a different way. Now I don't know if that'll happen. Yeah, but then, you know, yeah, that's apropos, not a war. Yeah, but apropos of what you're saying, you know, <laughs> if we put the card on one side, now look at ISIS. Yeah. Okay. For again, let us assume as we wanted to do defeat Al Qaeda in Afghanistan, and theoretically, for all intended purposes, we defeated Al Qaeda in Afghanistan, and perhaps ISIS will be also defeated. In Iraq as well, in Syria. So you mean in the fall of two thousand and one? That's the right. Spring of yeah, and now yeah. we have exactly. We're going to be playing exactly the same scenario. Yeah. We can wage a war or against an existing entity, yeah. and suppose that entity eventually would be destroyed. But exactly what you're saying. What are we doing about destroying or dealing with the idea, with the ideology? Mm-hmm. We cannot wage a war. Exactly what you're saying against an ideology. How do we deal? How do we deal with that? That is, what measures that is beyond the use of force, mm-hmm. beyond of gathering better intelligence, beyond of doing whatever measures we've been taking so far. How are we going to stop ideologies? Mm-hmm. Well, one that, of one of the things that, that contributes to these ideologies is lack of a purpose in life, and lack of a future, and lack of a way of. Uh, but whether it's in the Middle East or in Europe or wherever it is, yeah. um, the I, the the fact that there are youth who have nothing to do with their lives <laughs> in large numbers and increasing numbers who just don't have. Let's just leave it at that. They don't have substance. They don't have jobs. They don't have purpose. Um, this all feeds the jihadist ideology. You come to us. We'll give you a purpose. We'll give you a mission. Exactly. We'll give you land. Exactly. We'll give you wives. We'll give you legacy. Identity. Yeah, identity. identity. And, yeah. and identity is a very nice way of saying it. Um, and the internet exacerbates this, not yeah. just because of the recruitment possibility of, but you see what other people have. Yeah. You see yeah. what possibilities there are. How come not me? How come not my entire tribe? How come not my entire city? How come not my entire country? And you see a lot of this identity tied to self-realization in the world, you know, and how do we make that happen? Nobody's really thinking about this because it, it, in an age where resources are getting scarcer, where communities are in flow, where you have all these migrant communities for climate change because of the refugee crisis, etc. Um, it's even harder. It's, it's exacerbating a problem that was happening anyway because of diminishing resources and, and diminishing understanding of countries and how to, how to get control of resources and distribute yeah, them. Exactly. So, yeah. look, w- w- the good way of seeing this is that if we wanted to be, we could be on the verge of a rethinking of how the globe handles its allocation of, of resources. We are not there yet. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, unified leadership in that direction. But that's going to be the, the way forward. Yeah, the question, you know, and when you mention youth, of course, uh, you know, we look at many statistics in terms of how many young Arab Muslims. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about just the Middle East, let mm-hmm. alone other mm-hmm. Muslim states, mm-hmm. countries around the world. They have roughly 130 million mm-hmm. 
young Muslim Arabs mm -hmm. under the age of 25. Great. A huge percentage of that are poor, mm -hmm. uneducated, mm -hmm. with no future, no mm -hmm. opportunities. Mm -hmm. This is the pool yeah. from which all extremists can draw almost mm -hmm. indefinitely. Mm -hmm. Now you're talking, of course, and rightfully so, about allocation of resources. Now, it is one thing we can do what we do in Europe or in the United States. Mm -hmm. Let's say we make a supreme effort and try to make everything we can to integrate mm -hmm. and spend the money, albeit we are not doing enough of mm -hmm. that yet. Mm -hmm. Not here, not in Europe. I don't see it mm -hmm. in any way. But even if we were to do that, mm -hmm. to what extent are we in a position to influence the Arab countries where they are providing this huge pool mm -hmm. and the way this of, of young men and women who are despondent and have no this don't see any future in their current situation mm -hmm. so what is the connection in the i when i look at the radicalization i go i went back actually to the end of world war one mm -hmm. i'm not talking about just mm -hmm. the, what i see why the west has become a target mm -hmm. It is because what these young men and whoever, whether they heard it from their parents or they went to school and learned about this, they blame the West for much of their plight. Mm -hmm. they, play, they blame colonialism. Mm -hmm. And what they see is that when the colonial power eventually left the region, they appointed a kings and emirs and dictators mm -hmm. and despots. Mm -hmm. And so from their perspective, not only that during the colonial era, they've been used and abused and exploited. Mm -hmm. But even when they left, they appointed these stooges that continue the work mm -hmm. to do the service mm -hmm. for these powers. Mm -hmm. In my view, the West is being a target because they are blamed for what happened mm -hmm. five, six, seven decades ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's not new to world politics or even it's to not local a new, politics. But my question is, how do you so, begin to deal with that? So, do you to disabuse the people from that? Well, one thing you can't do is to deny the reality of it. That's right. That's the first thing not to do. Second thing is, you know, everybody has to give a little. It, it, everybody needs to go into the, the mindset that you want a constructive future where your children are not slaughtered. That's basically the, the bottom line, right? And so it, there has to be a leap of faith on everybody's part, which is we can live in a better world. And I know that sounds, you know, sort of idealistic and, you know, how do we get from here to there? One way to get to the, from here to there is education. And I don't think the education has to be who did what in 1919, um, although that can be part of it. But what do we need right now in this world to make the world a viable place? There's a political framework to it, but what actually are the problems in the world right now? And the problems in the world right now are the 21st century is so vastly different than the 20th century, and we're not dealing with it. And we have a lot of youth that are either educated or uneducated that could be brought into this conversation. It's not going to be easy to figure out how to have people who are not just migrating from one place to another, who are not just in search of, you know, home, sustenance, et cetera, et cetera, stability. The focus has to be on the future, not on the past. Yes, so that's the number one thing. Measures. What do you do? Okay. I mean, I mean in practical sense, you know, we all, we, I hear we, we tend ourselves, you and me, we right. talk about it, and I'm not no, criticizing I, you because no, no, it's, what you're I saying like is it. extremely valid. No, I get it. I would like to know, I mean, I would like to preach the gospel and say, 
Yeah. This is what you need to do, A, well, B, C, here, here's D. Here's the first thing you do is you pick a, a place that you can start. You don't try to do the whole thing at once. So whether you pick Egypt, which has tremendous, or Tunisia, which is the country right now where, I know it's not exactly in your geographical place, but look at Tunisia. Tunisia no, is, no, is the one country that there seems to be some real progress towards democracy and sort of stability after the Arab awakening or whatever you yes, want to call yeah, it. Yeah. So this is a country that I would focus on in a major way. If I were the United States and had resources or if I were any other part of the world and wanted to invest in this, and this also can bring in um, some of the European countries. And to really talk about how to fortify this country in a democratic way, in an inclusive way, and to make sure that these kids, these generations that's coming of age, really have the opportunities beyond the basics of democracy. How do we help them be educated? How do we help them be world citizens? Does it is it is it moving schools there? Is it bringing them to schools elsewhere? Practically, the way you take Tunisia, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, and Tunisia is far more manageable. Yeah, that's why I'm thinking. Than Egypt. You know, that's in the proximity, experience with the yeah, West, yeah. and all Small of that. Size. Which is much smaller and all of that. But let's take Egypt. It's to me, Egypt is a perfect example. <laughs> the example it probably should be. Yeah. What we try to do, which is I think it's a disaster. Nothing. Yeah short of a disaster. Yeah. We have a so-called Arab Spring. Um, yeah, yeah. I still maintain the Arab Spring has only begun. <laughs> it's That's far from being over. Okay, good. Uh, and I really I really mean that. Mm -hmm. I think uh, it's, it's turning, it has turned and will continue to turn a terribly cruel winter. Yeah. And it hasn't begun. Most people think well, it failed. It mm -hmm. started and it failed. No, mm -hmm. I'm saying... We're going to go through a cool winter and wait, come out in a, wait in a, a nice minute. spring. That's right. So what we did in Egypt, what you're saying, let's focus, let's focus yeah, yeah. on one area. Okay, okay. let's take Egypt. Okay. And what we did with our intelligence and capacity, okay, the way to go about it, here's, that's what you have to do, democratic form of government. Yeah. We had no clue when you introduce that kind of system into this kind of society, what are going to be the results once there is a free and fair election. Mm -hmm. Nobody really thought carefully about the fact that mm -hmm. the only group that was fully organized, both socially and politically, were the Muslim Brotherhood. Mm -hmm. There were no secular parties, mm -hmm. in, in functioning mm -hmm. parties in Egypt. Mm -hmm. They did not exist. They exist only in name. Mm -hmm. And then we pushed them into this election. The result was obvious to me, obvious mm -hmm. to many, many people mm -hmm. like myself, mm -hmm. like you. Mm -hmm. And here you have the Muslim Brotherhood. So the Egyptian people woke up in the morning and said, wonderful, now we're free. Mm -hmm. Now we can scream and mm -hmm. shout and criticize. Mm -hmm. Nobody can tell us to shut up, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But now where is the food? And where is the education? Mm -hmm. And where is the healthcare? Mm -hmm. And where is the opportunity? Mm -hmm. So here, the remedy we presumably have, let's concentrate on Egypt mm -hmm. and let's see. This is our remedy. Say We started with a system with a political system that we know is going to fail mm -hmm. because they were the condition, socio-economic, traditional, religious, none of them is supportive mm -hmm. of the introduction of immediate democratic form of government mm -hmm. that's going to be functioning mm -hmm. and successful because all the element, other elements on which democracy stands mm -hmm. are absent, mm -hmm. completely absent. Mm -hmm. So. Let's take Egypt because I'd like to take this mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. What would we, which we should be doing now? Well, we, the, there was another revolution mm -hmm. criticized Sisi. Now Sisi is in power, and we're back to the era of Mubarak, probably yeah. even even worse. Yeah. 
let's, let's and the rest of the Middle East is in chaos. It's so in chaos. There you go. Now let's take Egypt now. Let's create a model for the change we're talking about. And let's and America obviously uh, has tremendous influence. Can exercise a great deal of influence mm -hmm. still in Egypt today, and it support Egypt in many different ways. Egypt mm -hmm. also getting support from many Arab countries financially at least. Mm -hmm. Let's take that example because if you can salvage Egypt, no, no, if, I agree. If That's you can a hard make, one, though. If you can make Egypt an example of yeah. a success story, mm -hmm. I think that's going to reverberate throughout the Middle East, throughout the whole Muslim world, so to speak. I know, and, I, and, and I, beyond. And I think the the feeling that Egypt took a downturn was really a pivotal point in terms of uh, individuals get uh, countries getting very uh, alienated from the entire Middle East and willing to take harsh measures rather than constructive measures. You know, the use of the, the loss of Egypt, you're right, in the sense that, you know, Egypt was just, this was not the Egyptian awakening everybody thought. I mean, one part of me wants to say, you know, that's Egypt's problem. You know, we can't, we, whoever we is, the, the, can't really meddle in another country and fix it. Another part of me wants to say, look, there's so much good in Egypt of, of people who understand what it means to live in a civil society that that should really be harnessed and supported. And so the question is, how does, how does the world, rather than the United States, help support that? And I, I mean, we know the obvious answers to these things. Some of them are financial. A lot of them are financial. Um, some of them are uh, protective. But the problem is that the United States and the rest of the world, not just us, has really had trouble figuring out who to trust in terms of understanding who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. And whether it's in Syria, where it's, we don't actually know who's the enemy of my enemy is my friend, you know, this, this kind of thing. Um, same thing in Egypt, where there's this, and you pointed to the Muslim Brotherhood, you know, who, what factions do we want to align with? And I think that's one of the problems, is trying to pick a, we aren't good at, pick, at figuring it out. B, once you align with A, a B, or C, you sort of increase the conflict. But well, this is exactly what I, I personally do not advocate that. Yeah. To me, if we align ourselves with any particular group, mm -hmm. that's a, probably the kiss of death. Right. And yet... Even it, with the best. Yeah. I, no. I know, I agree with that. Okay. And so therefore, how do you nurture the forces of good um, without aligning with an entity. And that's, that's um, I think that's doable, but you have to really think it through because, you know, the whole mindset is, well, you don't want to help those who, you know, let, let me take it back to a little, let's pretend it's an individual we're helping and not a country because sure, it's yes, actually yes, a series yes. of individuals. <clears throat> Being kind to individuals, taking care of their lives and their loved ones is not a prescription for disaster. I just don't believe it. So we're not going to help those guys. They're really bad people. Their father killed my father, whatever it is. I understand it. I understand the psychology of it. I understand the pain of it. But really, I don't believe that if you take care of people, that, that that's going to lead to more and more warfare. So the question is, how do you take care of people? How do you give a little bit, even in a time where there are people that you don't want to give to because of what they've done in the past? And I know that sounds idealistic and, you know, how do you do it? But that's not hard to figure out how to take care of people, you know? You, you go in and you see who's hurting and you help them. And, okay, the trade-off may be we'll help you and we need you to do this instead of this. It might work, it might not work. But overall, in the aggregate, it's going to work. I, that's what I think. Well, that's let's, I, I want to, again, let, let's reduce it to Because, you know, this is, this is what I think people want to hear. We've taken this perfect example, and that's yeah. a perfect in a sense. It's a good example. Why is it? 
because Egypt represents more than an Egypt. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a, the leading Arab country. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's Egypt. It's Egypt. It's uh, with the culture, history, yeah, yeah, and all yeah, of yeah, and everything yeah, yeah. else Egypt. that Egypt has offered and continue mm -hmm. to offer. That's why I think uh, if we were to do something that's going to, in Egypt, that's going to be a, a success mm -hmm. story, mm -hmm. that's going to have major, major ramification uh, throughout the yeah, Middle yeah, East yeah. and beyond. Yeah. So let's just focus on this and see. Here we have. The United States is certainly helping Egypt. Mm -hmm. Other European communities are helping Egypt. Yeah. But today, Egypt, as we sit here, experiencing major economic crisis. Yes. Yes. crisis. Major. On the verge, I mean, I don't want to say it's going to soon become a failed state, but it is not far off from being failed. failed. Right. Let's, right. It's not going to happen right. this year or next year. Okay. Now, so we continue, perhaps for good reason, to support the military, mm -hmm. but we also know that the military control 25 30% of the Egyptian industry. Mm -hmm. They can actually self-sustain mm -hmm. if they want to, financially speaking. Mm -hmm. So I am saying to the who listen to me here, the State Department say, okay, you are providing Egypt a billion and a half, two billion dollars a year. Much of it is, go is going to military assistance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe three, four hundred million dollars are going to economic mm -hmm. assistance development. Let's take this tool, Karen. I want to take this tool. How do you use this tool, financial aid, mm -hmm. that comes along with political influence, mm -hmm. and say, let's do this instead of this? Mm -hmm. That is, we need to be able, that is, being that Egypt is an ally, mm -hmm. being that Egypt is, from our perspective, that is American perspective, mm -hmm. is a critically, strategically very important country. Mm -hmm. It is a peace with Israel. That's had another serious, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, long, long peace. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So how do we do? How do we save Egypt? Let's save Egypt. Yeah. You know, let's just focus on one, and that is, I think, what is missing. That like we're trying to apply same pills, mm -hmm. the same medicine mm -hmm. to everybody, and hoping for the best, and hoping that it's going to be cured. Mm -hmm. But let us see if we can prescribe mm -hmm. specific medicine. Mm -hmm. That's going to be working in Egypt. That's going to save that country, mm -hmm. and with that, many mm -hmm. other things are going to be saved along the line. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, should be the focus: the State Department, mm -hmm. the academic community, mm -hmm. practical approach. What that's going to be? I mean, I have some ideas. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You know, one of the, um, if you think about radicalization, which is kind of where you and I started this conversation. One of the uh, factors that has been looked at in programs that want to prevent against radicalization, let's just start there, has to do with employment. Exactly. <laughs> let's just talk yeah. about employment. Yeah. And so coming up with jobs, whether it's microfinance, whether it's inspiring entrepreneurship, whatever it is, is actually underestimated. And, and, and some foundations are doing this, some trade organizations you know, have thought about this, but actually making it available, and I'm not talking about the munitions industry, I'm decidedly not, but whether it's produce or whether it's technology, you know, anything from agriculture to technology, I don't care. But if you tell people, it's like having a library. If you tell people they need to know about Tunisia, and they don't have Google and they don't have a library, they're not going to want to do it. But if you give them the library, they're going to learn it. Exactly, if you give yeah. people access to small amounts of money as an incentive and say, you know, here's what you can do and here's how you'd get more, you know, they will take it. They will take the opportunity and they will create businesses and some will fail and some will succeed. 
And again, you have to monitor it. You have to. See, you, we're not talking about huge amounts of money. We are really talking in this this one option, this microfinance, you know, option. That's one of the ways. You know, democracy and capitalism are not completely distinct entities. This is something we need to remember. Well, no, of course, one absolutely supports the other. There's no question. But I want to take your point. That I'd like to break it into three or four different elements mm-hmm. in terms of creating job opportunities. Mm-hmm. Now, how do we create job opportunities? Mm-hmm. There are a number of sources. For example, one, like you said, let's get foreign investment. Mm-hmm. That is, encourage big companies, mm-hmm. big corporations mm-hmm. to go and invest mm-hmm. so much money in Egypt to develop various mm-hmm. facilities, uh, factories mm-hmm. to produce, can create tens of thousands of jobs mm-hmm. for that matter. They probably will need some kind of security, some kind of guarantee of sort. Mm-hmm. I think that might be, we can work it out. Mm-hmm. That is, mm-hmm. to the extent we know the investment is solid, that is needed there, mm-hmm. that is going to succeed, we can almost guarantee success because of the need mm-hmm. in terms of the manpower required, that, yeah. the production is going, and the consumption mm-hmm. that is going to be uh, of, of this big type of investment. That's one source. In my view, they ought to be encouraged. Mm-hmm. You, you agree with that? Mm-hmm. The second, the second source, in my view, is that well, the government is so-called the biggest contractor in terms of what, how the government can allocate the more funding so that it is going to be more focused. In my view, on sustainable development, albeit is not necessarily limited to government projects. Mm-hmm. That is exactly what you said, and I agree with you hundred percent. If you give people an opportunity to have their own. Uh, Project, small mm-hmm. project, mm-hmm. with limited amount of money, and they can control it. They mm-hmm. can deal with it. They mm-hmm. can decide what they want to do. Mm-hmm. That's going to provide both both resources, mm-hmm. empowering mm-hmm. the individual, as well as job opportunity and mm-hmm. making money. That's mm-hmm. the second source that need to be. You know, mm-hmm. then you have uh, another source in employment is infrastructure. Mm-hmm. That is what need to be done, we should do, like the United States and other countries who are vested interest in Egypt, to want to see Egypt a success story, ought to invest in terms of infrastructure, mm-hmm. to be able um, to, again, offer these many jobs, albeit infrastructure does not produce, it facilitates transportation, mm-hmm. facilitates a lot mm-hmm. of things, but in and of itself is not, does not produce money in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It's going to create jobs, but once, once a bridge is built, again, you can have a toll for people to pay mm-hmm. in order to cross the bridge. That's going to produce some revenue. So here you have a, another an issue in terms of who is going to invest in this infrastructure, which is desperately needed in, yeah, Egypt, yeah. in yeah. Egypt itself. Well, well, that comes from contribution. There is many countries, in Saudis and others, are contributing money to Egypt, mm-hmm. almost with no strings attached. Mm-hmm. United States has some strength that says money coming from the Gulf. Do you agree? It really doesn't have much strength that says when it's given to Egypt. I don't know enough. I, I mean, I don't know. To my knowledge, it yeah. doesn't have that much. Yeah. Egyptians are telling them, you want to help us, help us. Don't tell us what to do with the money. That's basically what they are saying. So it would be better <clears throat> if it could come from some kind of global fund uh-huh. that was not tied to any particular country because strings are a funny thing. You know, there are explicit strings and there are implicit strings. And, and, it, and but there are also necessary strings, well, uh, sometimes. Sometimes. Yes, yes. But look, part of this is going to be, and this is what nobody likes, but everybody knows, there is a, a factor of faith here. 
you know, there's a sense that if you go in this direction, you're gonna, this is a kind of leap of faith, you know, that if these are the constructs that are put in place, that this will create a more peaceful world. There are people who would argue against that. And so you can't prove something that you haven't tried. Exactly. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's a leap of faith. And, I, and I, I think that when it gets messed up with the politics of the, of the major powers in the region and in the world, it can get derailed very easily. And that there has to be some other kind of entity that funnels this money in. And in the best of all possible worlds, I'm not saying that could happen, but strings are strings, you know. We'll return to our conversation with Karen in a moment. As a reminder, you can sign up for my mailing list on my website, alonebenmeyer.com. Follow me on Twitter at alonebenmeyer or download my articles from SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash alonebenmeyer. But you know, what I'm trying to, 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 you know, like people ask me, what can we do? Yeah. What do we do? I'm trying to figure out, you know, some kind of solution. I mean, practically speaking, yeah. do you, I feel that, you know, looking at some, some of these resources where they can money be brought mm -hmm. and be used intelligently and properly to create the jobs, which is mm -hmm. critical. Mm -hmm. And uh, opportunity, I mean, uh, the government that you can invest in, in education and mm -hmm. healthcare facilities mm -hmm. and universities and all, all that is going to be necessary outside contribution. And... Uh, international it's mm -hmm. a sort of custodian that can raise mm -hmm. certain amount of money through the IMF and mm -hmm. others. Mm -hmm. Would that, do you feel, Karen, from what you know, experience, mm -hmm. don't you think that if this is, let's just say this can be done, mm -hmm. don't you think this is one kind of approach that needs to be taken in order to really produce one success story? Yes, but I also, I, I do, I think it would be interesting. I think you have, there's an educational, you know, a give back. There's a, a social give back piece that has to be in there. It can't just be about making money. It also has to be about giving to the society you're in as you make that money. And that, when you talk about strings, but I also think that there has to be a sense that Egypt or whatever country belongs to the world. And so part of what has to be tied in here is a way of, relating the experience or expanding the experience beyond Egypt without being um, a, a power that's trying to take over uh, exactly, another country. Exactly, so, for exactly. example, you know, among the countries in, in the most need right now are countries in Africa that are all over the map in terms of their capacities um, and their own development. You know, eventually we're going to have to, this is true for two centuries, that we still haven't been able to help Africa in a way that makes it a safer, more secure place to live. So I think that the give back part, that when you design these things or implement these things, there's a strong internal give back and a strong external give back. It all can't be about me. What's best for me? What's, you know, it ha we don't, we haven't built an altruistic world. And I don't mean a self-denying world. I, I really don't mean no, that. No, 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 I, I agree with you. Absolutely. A, yeah. You succeed, you give, period. And so that has to be built in there somehow into the mix, and and that's not in the that's not in the prescriptions that you read about. Yeah, but do you think um, if we were to take our approach to this, do you think that's politically viable? That is, here's a government. We got CC is the president. Basically, it's got absolute power for all intent and purposes. And let's say you and I go, Mr. CC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's our recipe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
we can get you money for this and we can get you money for this and you have to do this and you have mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. And now that you are experiencing such a horrifying economic crisis, are you prepared to go with this kind of program? Mm -hmm. What do you think his first question, second question is going to be? What he will say, thank you so much, let's, let's, let's do it. Well, he might on the idea that once he has it, he can control it. You know, I mean, there's always that. Yeah. Um, you know, again, you, you're, you're not going to control what happens afterwards, which is why I wouldn't be giving too much. It has to be incremental. It has to be slow. It has, it's a cultural, yeah, it's a yeah. cultural, it's a gift saying, look, it's your culture. It's your country. This is what we think will help it better. But, you know, part of this has to be that you're willing to make this holistic and yeah. they may not want it and that's yeah. not our job to force other no, this is true and incidentally i never uh, suggested or implied that uh, this thing has to be done by outside i mean yeah. we bring in we may suggest you know expert bring experts uh, mm -hmm. facilitators mm -hmm. uh, negotiators mm -hmm. but we're not going to do the work mm -hmm. nor do we have to tell them you know when what time to start working what time yeah. to finish that work and needless to say, it would be theirs to yeah, say. It has what to be if, there. They have to own it. What do they want? Yeah, they have, have to, they thought they have it? You know, I bet yeah. they've thought about yeah. it. What are they in a in yeah. a you know? If you had a magic wand, what do you want? I mean, look, we've seen aid fail over and over again. Look at Russia, just to pick a country, you know, that we're not talking about in this way. But look at Russia during Gorbachev's time. How much help could have been given to Russia then? or to Eastern, the Eastern Bloc, for that matter, but let's just take Gorbachev, that wasn't given to them, to be able to, to him, to be able to build sort of the society he wanted to see. We weren't willing to offer that. And for just the reasons you're saying, you know, what can you guarantee? What are the give back? We're not going to get the guarantees we want to get, but we're going to have to figure out a way to build in controls, to not give too much at a time. The, the, the key here is to find partners who actually want a better world and for whom a better world means a safer, um, more life-affirming world. That, that's the... This is true. The only thing is that while this is necessary and needed and we should do that, we also have to also pick up places and areas where strategically have serious global or regional ramification. We're talking about Egypt because saving Egypt yeah. would have different kind of implications other than Saving another country someplace else does no, not have the same strategy. No, and Egypt's yeah, no, I know. Important, but it's so, not saving uh, Egypt. It's it's empowering, empowering. Egypt to yeah, save, yeah. to do itself, whatever yeah, it needs yeah. to do to become yes. Egypt again. Exactly. <laughs> you know exactly. I mean? like no, I'm not saying saving a we, but just by by means by which we, as a friend, as a supporter, we're going to make it possible, help them, help themselves, so to speak, mm -hmm. to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. But you see. I just want to bring this back uh, yeah, yeah. to to the where we started. Yeah. In terms of the war on terror. Yes, know. good. It's something I actually know about. Yes, this is good. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but this is no. Your your input is great. Are you kidding? I I the war on terror. I mean, is working doing something like this with Egypt. Mm -hmm. What it what the, what the implication of that on the so-called war on terror? That is, that is, and I see clear connection. Okay, what's the connection? You, 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 yeah. I, I, I want to hear your, and then I'll tell you why I agree or disagree. Well, you know, um, well, obviously, Egypt has a major internal uh, conflict, that is, with the Muslim Brotherhood, yeah. for example. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, Egypt is experiencing horrifying, uh, violent in the Sinai. Uh, day in and day out, our people mm -hmm. are dying. Mm -hmm. State emergencies basically is just permanent mm -hmm. there. Uh, and, and we are directly and indirectly, including Israel, mind you, mm -hmm. is part and party on this war on these terrorists, mm -hmm. be that ISIS, be that mm -hmm. uh, others coming from Libya and elsewhere, Sudan. So this is this is part that is. Can you, in fact, just focus on Egypt, the development of Egypt from all the angles we talked mm -hmm. about, and ignore the simmering, violent—not simmering, actually violent conflict that's taking place, which is part mm -hmm. of parcel of what we consider as a, as a as a war on terror, which has serious impact both as far as so, in, in, in the region between Israel and, and, and its neighbors. Yeah. So, so this is a part of it. And Israel, is, United States is not oblivious to, to what's going on there. That for the United States, is a part and parcel mm -hmm. of the so-called war on terror. Mm -hmm. So first, if you're going to talk about the war on terror, you know, we have so many different things going on right now. We have the war against ISIS. We have a uh, what some people say is a newly strengthened al-Qaeda right now. And these are, to some extent, different things and different challenges. Um, but your work on Israel-Palestine, right, on the, this uh, tension, is, is connected to all of this war and terror in the Middle East region. And, and figuring out a way to actually have a peaceful coexistence is, is it's the heart of the rest of it, even if ISIS isn't saying, like Bin Laden said, you know, this is this is essential to how we think about what has to be, you know, redressed, fixed, changed in a different way. Um, but it it's and I think a lot of people have given up on this tension ever being resolved in any way. That nobody's willing to give an inch. Everybody's feet are dug in. Their heels are dug in in a way that they're they're not going to um, move back from their positions. But if this conflict were resolved in a way, and I don't know, and you know, that's not my expertise, but if this conflict would, were resolved, it would, it would, there would be a not so subtle shift throughout the region and throughout what we understand of as the war on terror. And I don't know what the the pieces of that will be, but what the pieces are will be very important to this larger conversation. So that's that's the first thing, in terms of fixing country after after country or having countries heal themselves, which is a a better way of looking at it. We're far cry from that if outside of Egypt because these countries are, as you used the term before, failed states. Failed states with um, leaders that are not up to the global task that they represent being used as um, a proxy for the big powers in the world, um, you know, the United States included. And so how do we negotiate through all of this, particularly when, and I don't mean to, you know, be so negative about everything, we have nuclear weapons in the mix, right? Yes, and we haven't yes. even talked about Pakistan and, yes. and India. So I guess the, the, the takeaway from all of this is you can't separate the war on terror from any of these conflicts that are going exactly on. Exactly right. And, and, the, and the thing that I am worried about, if you ask me to, you know, view into the future, is that we've had the luxury of calling these d tremendously destructive, violent elements non-state actors for 15 years in this country. And now we see very clearly how non-state actors and state actors are visibly beginning to align with one another. And we have some major powers that are playing in this mix now in Syria, 
uh, and the Levant. And so the the resurgence of state powers as the enemies or the um, adversary, better mm-hmm. word, of the United States. For example, Russia right now, which is uh, very much on the minds, I think, of the um, American um, uh, defense community, yes. um, national security community. And, and how that's going to align with what we call the forces of terrorism is really the, the question of the future and how that's going to play out. And I'm, I'm sure I'm, this, is, this has to be what our <laughs> officials are thinking about. Um, and so we're at a very precarious time for mm-hmm. all of this. And yeah. any movement forward, be it the, the hardest one, which is you know Pal- uh, Palestine-Israel, whether it's that or uh, another really important nugget, but I really think that one, would, would change the fabric of this immediately. The, the forces of the world are not moving towards peace. I guess is what I'm trying to say. No, you're right. They're you're moving right. towards right. chaotic yeah. violence. Yeah. And um and I and I believe that therefore anything that's done to be a model of stability or resolution, it would be important, but nothing would be more important than the Israel Palestinian conflict. Nothing. Because it is so embedded in the narrative, and you talk about the psychology and the mindset and the the impossibility, you know, this is impossible. Well, if that weren't impossible, then nothing else would be impossible. And so it's actually, to me, extremely important and um, not something I, you know, am expert in anyway, but I'm an expert in the narrative of jihadism. as. Yes, and yes. so I do think that this is, you know, just tremendously important. So. No, no, I agree with you. I think, I think uh, I've, been, I've been saying this for years now. Uh, United States ought to have a different kind of focus. Better understanding of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, uh, not to keep repeating, making the mm-hmm. same mistake time and again and again. Uh, understanding the the unseen mm-hmm. uh, dimension, mm-hmm. elements behind the actual conflict. Mm-hmm. So just looking at the the various conflicting mm-hmm. issues, the refugees, mm-hmm. Jerusalem, and all of that. Mm-hmm. And unless they tackle that and begin a different kind of process, mm-hmm. people to people process, mm-hmm. it's not going to go. But on the whole, your point is absolutely. On, on the mark, and that is very important part of dealing with uh, the war, so-called war on terror, is beginning to solve regional conflict. Mm-hmm. That is, we have to have yeah. solution. Yeah. Israeli-Palestinian conflict is, stands out, being one of the oldest, yeah. uh, has to be tackled. That is, there's going to be chain reaction. Mm-hmm. That is, we need to focus. Yeah, part right. on terror is not just killing. Uh, individuals, as you well articulated in some of the much wonderful work that you've done, uh, that's not going to go too far. Uh, It has failed uh, miserably. Uh, And we take pride in the fact, you know, remember during this campaign, how many times Hillary Clinton's been killed Osama bin Laden? Mm -hmm. (laughs) As if the killing of Osama bin Laden ended the war, uh, ended the the Al-Qaeda as we know. Mm So, so finding resolution to these various conflicts has to be very much part and parcel of the, the right. so-called... Yeah. And, and killing bin Laden in the context of war makes sense, right? The head of the... So yeah, that yeah. all makes sense, yeah. and, and I understand, but it would have been good if it... But I have to say something. People want to not be at war. It's not just, oh, we, people, you know, people are, get invested in wars. Yes, they get yes. financially invested, they yes. get psycho- psychologically invested, they get the infrastructure of government's changes yes. to fight a war. So when we say end a war, you're really talking about dismantling an entire structure. And to do that, you have to have something 
that replaces it. Replaces it. And exactly. so, th and we don't. Yeah. That's a hard thing to yeah. enumerate or a hard thing to give the details to. But we all know it's there. You know, we have you know this the military intelligence industrial complex built to do that. And the question is, how can these same talents and forces and specialties be redirected in a way that makes them on the same page with actually wanting peace? And that's that's so that's your job. Well, that's your job too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, your work is really extremely important. I think, I think, to have a better understanding of what you've been advocating in terms of how to deal with it, domestic jihadism, yeah, domestic. what is this all about? Yeah. Uh, what is this so-called war on terror should mean? Yeah. And what is the extension of this so-called war? Yeah. And of course, the means by which we also execute that war on terror in terms of the torture and other stuff, you know, which is which has been a horrifying experience, uh, and to the extent to which we compromise our rights, the Bill of Rights, and other so yeah, well, I think it's this is. I think it takes two. I think we have to look at it from both sides, not just yeah. one or the other. And one is complementing the other. It is war on terror, jihadists, and all of that is directly linked to mm -hmm. uh, conflict resolution. Actual mm -hmm. conflict that mm -hmm. exists, and that's why I'm concerned. You know, let's def we're gonna defeat ISIS. What's going to be the future? We are just basically preparing the foreground, which is already in mm -hmm. happening. Another continuing war between the Sunni and the Shiite, because mm -hmm. we don't have the foresight to say what do we do with the Sunnis so that they can be satisfied mm -hmm. and be able to live mm -hmm. with their brothers, so, so to speak the Shiite community, mm -hmm. and nobody is advancing any kind of practical solution. There are solutions, but they don't, they don't want to talk about it because mm -hmm. they think it's impractical. We have this hang-up about keeping the unity of Iraq as a single entity, mm -hmm. when in fact Iraq and Syria has been dismantled, mm -hmm. and they're going to be impossible to put it mm -hmm. Together. Yeah, there is a lot of talk about partitioning now. Yeah. A lot of talk about partitioning. And they better think about it much more seriously, and the sooner the better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Very yeah. interesting. Sort of the, the Wilsonian solution to um, the Middle East. Well, they would have used for yeah. Europe to yeah. the yeah. Middle East. Yeah. Kind of an interesting notion. Okay, we solved it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And what a pleasure. What a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. No, the so, pleasure is mine. So I was sweet of you to invite me over. That's so no, nice. it's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of On the Issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.